This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you heard the announcer, John, say, uh, this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. All you have to do is call us. Whatever's going on in your life, your heart, um, if you have questions about what we believe as Christians or why we believe it, you can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email your questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're out and about in your car, especially on these wet roads today, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, There'll be a big banner. It says call now. You hit that, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. 340-9585 is our main number. Hope you're safe. Hope you're warm out there today. Uh, Tonight here at Calvary Chapel, um, we have kind of a milestone. We're going to be finishing um, the prophecy of Isaiah. Uh, It's a milestone for me. I, I really never thought I'd be around long enough to teach the book of Isaiah, and now we're getting through it, and it's been a long haul. Sometimes it's been horrible, and by that I mean you just have to drudge through all of the the, the judgments and the woes, um, but for the most part, and especially um, in this last third of the book, uh, it has been absolutely magnificent tonight. Um, I think it's one of those studies that is pretty special. So uh, that'll be tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvaryessay.com on our live stream. Um, But um, Wednesday nights, we've got room in the place, so we welcome anybody who wants to come get a chance to meet some radio listeners. Let me get right to questions today while we await your phone calls. Remember, you're more interesting than I am. So uh, if you have any questions, please call. Our first question is from Jennifer. She said, is it God's will to heal everyone? Jesus healed when he was here, and the Bible says that he is the same forever. Um, Jennifer, it's not God's will to heal everyone. I, I mean, eventually it's God's will to heal everyone, and that's what happens when we get saved and we go to heaven. Our, our, all of our diseases are going to be healed, and we're going to have great new physical, glorified, resurrected bodies. Uh, and certainly in heaven, there's not going to be any suffering. There's not going to be any pain, any sorrow. So um, eventually, it's God's will to heal everyone. Having said that, um, we know not everybody's going to go to heaven. 
Well, I think with the gift of healing that you're talking about, I think it's clearly not God's will, will to heal everyone. Now, I think this is one thing that's really misunderstood a lot when the Bible says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he healed then, so he'll heal now. Uh, Jennifer, that's really, really horrible biblical scholarship. Um, Jesus healed when he was here. Uh, he did it because they were signs. The, the Jewish uh, people that Jesus ministered among were always looking for signs and wonders. And when Jesus healed people, he used that as an opportunity to, to teach or to preach. Uh, and and the, the, the power that he had to heal, the power, by the way, that he gave his apostles in the first century church, those healings were signs, those miraculous things uh, were signs that would indicate that the message is valid. So we make it about healing. You know, we humans, we don't like to suffer. And uh, false teachers have found there's a whole lot of money in in giving people false hopes. So they say, well, if you just give enough and you've had enough faith and God is going to heal you. Um, but that's simply not true. Um, Jennifer, God didn't heal his son. When Jesus asked for a way to bypass the cross, the father said no. Jesus didn't heal Paul. Second Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh he had. It was a very painful physical affliction that constantly plagued him. And God told him, my grace is sufficient. And Paul understood why God wouldn't heal him. Uh, the Bible is littered with stories of people who didn't get healed. And it is a shame, Jennifer. I mean, it really is shameful that there are people out there teaching that God wants everybody to be healed. I think, Jennifer, I've had more pain out of this issue than perhaps any other consistently over the years uh, because when people come here, they're broken. When people come from bad teaching, um, health and wealth churches, they're broken. Their, their view of God is that God didn't keep his promises and they can only conclude that there's something wrong with God or something wrong with them. And of course, neither one of those things is true. So it is not God's will to heal everyone. I think sometimes we try to take miraculous healings and make them the norm, which would indicate that they're not miracles at all. So God's grace is sufficient. If you're suffering with something, then all you have to do is cling to Jesus and eventually you will be healed, just not the way that we expect. Let's go to Cibolo, Texas now and talk with John on line one. John, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Thank you, Pastor Ron, and I sure appreciate all that you do. I really enjoy listening to your show. Thanks, John. I have a couple questions. Uh, first, understand that Moses and Aaron both had the same parents, but Aaron was a priest and Moses was not. Um, can you explain why and then what happened to Moses' line, his two sons? And my last question is, today our understanding is for salvation you must be born again. But what was the understanding of the Old Testament saints to obtain salvation? Okay, good. I can do that. Clearly, John, thank you very, very much. 
let me deal with Moses first, simply because uh, he is a, a, a titanic figure in scriptures. He is uh, um, the signature uh, miracle worker in the Old Testament. Um, relative to him and Aaron, um, remember that, that Moses was called out of Midian. Aaron, his brother, was reunited with him after his call, and actually Aaron started the Aaronic line in the priesthood. So this was a new thing, and here's what God did. God said, Moses, this is your job. Aaron, this is your job. And that's how things started. That was the pattern of things to come. And so it wasn't like Aaron came from a line that qualified him to be a priest. Um, Moses would, would receive the law, and, and that would dictate who and what were going to be priests. So um, in the Aaronic line, um, um, it, it began with Aaron. That's why it's called the Aaronic line. And subsequently, all of the Levites and the priests would come from um, from the tribe of Levi, and, and Aaron's line would be the priests, uh, the Kohathites would be the worshipers, uh, others would be those who served uh, in the temple or in the tabernacle. So it was just, that was the beginning of something, and that's just how God laid it out. Um, regarding uh, Moses' sons, we're not told uh, what became of them. Um, th- there's very little, even, even secular stuff, uh, historical stuff that would tell us what became of, of Moses' sons, nothing other than, than legend. So we just really don't know. Now, one of the things that we have to remember, John, is that God didn't write things to tell us the whole story about everything. Uh, everything that we have, especially in the Old Testament, are only those things pertaining to uh, faith and salvation uh, leading to the story of Jesus, which the whole Bible is about. In fact, Moses representing the law pointed to Jesus. Elijah representing the prophets, they all pointed to Jesus, we're told. So that's um, the best we can do uh, other than than um, speculation, and, and that's never really very profitable regarding his sons. Um, people on the... Old Testament side of the cross. Uh, we, we are born again, as you said. The only way to be saved is to be born again. That's a surrendering of your life to the will of God. It's, a, it's, it's, it's by faith believing that Jesus is who he said he was. He died for our sins. And by faith in him, we too are saved. But it's not just the words. It's not just the intellectual assent. It's understanding uh, that he died for our sins, and, and he did so to, to, to entertain a personal relationship with us. Now, we look back at the cross. The cross is sort of the center point of all history. We look back at the cross, and frankly, John, it's easier for us to be saved than it is for uh, those who are looking forward to the cross. Now, I'm finishing Isaiah tonight, and in our study last week, um, we were told that the things that Isaiah saw and the things that he wrote, not just him, but all the other prophets, um, they really struggled with trying to figure out um, uh, who they were writing or the times they were writing about. And it was revealed to them uh, when they got to heaven that they weren't writing for themselves. But it was for another time, and, and that time was for us. So uh, the way people were saved is the same way. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So those that we read about in the Old Testament, uh, they believed God, and righteousness was credited to them 
uh, for us, um, Jesus' righteousness is given to us by the fact of his resurrection, but they look forward to the cross. In other words, they believe the promises of the Messiah who would come. They believed the promises of an age when Jerusalem would once again be the center of the world and, and, and that Jesus the Christ would sit on the throne of David ruling and reigning and that the kingdom Zionism would, would reign and the kingdom of God would rule and reign on this earth. Uh, they didn't understand that it was a millennial reign. They didn't understand the information that we have. But when you see Daniel, he looked forward to it. Elijah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, um, Zechariah, all of the, the people that we know uh, who were true prophets of God, um, they were men that looked forward by faith. They believed the promises of God. And just like Abraham, God credited that to them to faith. You know, John, a good study, and, and I, I did, I think, 12 studies in Hebrews chapter 11. We just finished that a, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 11, and and you're given the examples of how their faith in God's word was manifest in their lives. You know, James says, faith without works is dead. Well, they believed and as a result of their believing, there were many, many great works that were done as well uh, through them. And and um, um, God entrusted them things just like he entrusts things to us. But it, it's, it's looking forward to the cross. We look backwards at the cross. And the whole point is to make two bodies into one. And that's what we learn in the book of Ephesians. John, thank you very much for calling. I appreciate the questions. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question that was sent in by Miguel. How did Jesus give power to his 12 disciples when they healed people? I ask because they weren't really saved yet. Um, Miguel, that's an interesting um, um, way of, of asking the question. Um, but you see, they were saved. Now, they didn't have the, the Holy Spirit yet. But remember, that was because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet been given. We we find that in the Gospel accounts after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. We're told he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit of God. But, but remember, Jesus' ministry was Jewish. And um, like Abraham, I just got done talking about, they believed him. What did Peter say? Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And they want to know where you're going to go, what's going to happen to us. So by believing, they were saved. The, the woman with the issue of blood, your faith has healed you. And repeatedly, Jesus did that. So they weren't what we would understand as born-again Christians, but they were still credited with righteousness because they believed. And of course, um, when Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection and, and, and gave them the Holy Spirit, he had a whole lot of things to tell them about what the Holy Spirit in them is going to do. So uh, they really were saved by faith, looking forward to the promises of God, uh, just like Jews who were a thousand or fifteen hundred years, twenty five hundred years earlier, uh, just the same way that they were saved. Now, um, how did he give power? It's simple. Jesus had all authority given to him. And if Jesus wanted to give somebody the power to do something, he just did it. And remember, he only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. So 
these were sort of, I call it, orders from headquarters. And so when Jesus sent them out two by two, and they did all of these miracles of healing, and they, they had these opportunities to, to cast out demons and do marvelous things, it was borrowed power. So, Miguel, that's how it happened and why it happened. Let me make one other comment. I had a call yesterday about the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus, Peter, James, and John came down and they saw their disciples who were trying to cast out demons from the, from the, the, the boy who, whose father brought him, uh, who was possessed by devils, and they couldn't cast him out. Why? Because the power that they had before was borrowed power. And they were trying to rely on an old experience to cast out new demons. And we can't do that. Now, the reason I mention that, Miguel, is because that's the way many Christians live our lives. You know, Calvary Chapel has been around for a long time, uh, 50-ish years. Um, um, The Calvary Chapel movement, it was the sort of the vanguard of the Jesus movement revival. And there were a lot of great things that were done, miraculous things that happened, as is always the case when God is, is, is ushering in a new move of his spirit. And, um, you know, I, all the time we'll have people come by, they're traveling and they're looking for a Calvary Chapel, so they'll pop in and they'll want to come in and thank me for the message, or they'll come up at the end and say, you know, uh, I was with Pastor Chuck in the old tent days. And my, my question is always, well, so what, what is God doing now? in your life. And too many of us, we're we're trying to rely on old experiences or old power instead of walking with Jesus and getting new power every day. And honestly, Miguel, there's only one way. If God used you to part a Red Sea yesterday, none of that means anything today. If God has something for you to do today, whether it's to love your wife, to love your kids, to be a great employee, or to be a great boss, um, whatever God has for you to do today requires fresh power each and every day. And I just think that we forget that and we're content to remember those times. Oh yeah, I was here at this revival or that revival and boy, the spirit was really moving. We're, we're coming up on 25 years this year here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And while God has done some amazing things, None of it means anything at all. The only thing that matters is today. And we get tomorrow, that's the only thing that matters. And we all have to be aware of that. Jesus' disciples found out the hard way. I hope that makes sense. Here's a question from Daniel. He says, was Balaam a true prophet? Um, Daniel, Balaam was a trickster. Now, um, he was a true prophet only in so far as he said what God told him to do. Remember when he went to Balak and he said, uh, you want me to curse them, but God won't let me curse them. And and so that was true. And um, the definition of prophet is one who speaks for the Lord or one through whom God speaks. And so Balaam was a prophet. Now, he was not a godly prophet. Uh, he was a pagan. He was... Um, um, uh, a man who wanted really nothing to do with with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So uh, he was a real prophet, but he wasn't what we would call a true prophet in the sense that he wasn't speaking for the Lord apart from that one time. Uh, He was a man who had people tricked. He made a lot of money, uh, lived a high life. Sounds like a lot of our false teachers today. Um, But his only uh, relationship with God was that sort of tangential relationship when God could use him to accomplish something he did. And basically what God ended up doing was trying to frustrate uh, Balaam's efforts at getting rich. Um, It's interesting to me, we learn in the book of Revelation that Balaam was successful ultimately. The sin of Balaam was... um, when he knew he couldn't curse Israel, uh, Balaam sent women into Israel's camp to seduce the men and to turn them away from the one true God and, and worship false gods in these immoral sexual things that they were doing. Um, and, and so Balaam was trapped. Now, obviously, Balaam, we know, died. So that was pretty much um, his end result. Good question. Thank you. Let's go to Jeff from San Antonio on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. I look forward to it. Hi, Pastor Ron. Big hug to you and thank you, everybody. I'll take it. Okay. That's great. Um, you you just started to mention Ephesians 2. I believe it's 15, uh, one new man out of two. And, and I've heard that used a lot in the spirit of racial reconciliation, and I'm wondering if that's really, you know, out of context. That's not, that wasn't the purpose of it, but, you know, I'm wondering if you can help me with, 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 the, with the real verses that, that deal with racial reconciliation. Probably, you know, uh, no, no one is, is slave. Um, no. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, Pastor, right? Yep, I, I do, Jeff. Thank you. Please be careful okay. out there in these wet streets. Uh, a couple of things. Yes, when, when, we tr- when we try to apply um, um, social justice mores, and, and we do that, you know, trying to, to, uh, to, to rationalize, well, this is what it means, uh, we, we do a disservice. We're, we're showing really bad and even dishonest scholarship. Um, making two men out of one, um, the Bible says nothing about race. The Bible says nothing. It acknowledges different races, but but uh, we're told in Galatians, we're told uh, that there is uh, no slave nor free, no male nor female. Um, um, all are one in Christ. You see, Jesus is that common ground where we come together and we find our place. And it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter how persecuted you've been. Uh, God's people, Israel, Jews, have been historically the most persecuted people in the history of the world. And yet when they come to, to Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. And what we try to do is, uh, I mean, it, it, emotionally it feels good, um, but, but the truth is Jesus doesn't recognize race. There's a human race. And then Jesus breaks it down into two categories. There's the saved and the unsaved. And the saved are supposed to love the unsaved enough regardless of, of their, their racial or ethnic background, uh, regardless of their economic background. Um, we're to love the unsaved enough to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. 
But this whole idea, and, and we have become so race conscious in this world, uh, the whole idea that, that, well, you know, I'm a persecuted people and, um, you know, I've just had it tough. That's no excuse for not giving everything to Jesus Christ and serving with your whole heart. So we're looking at everybody the same. Um, you know, when I say this, it infuriates people, especially people that come from persecuted backgrounds. You don't understand what it was like. I really do. I'm married to a beautiful black woman for, we'll be together 50 years next month, and I have children who the world says are black, and, and, and they have been persecuted and discriminated against repeatedly through the years. Uh, I used to fight that cause um, until I got saved, and then I realized that there's only one message that has any value, Jeff, and that's the message of we need to be reconciled to Christ, and all of the differences wash away. Now, Jeff, um, in our church, and you've heard me talk about this before, uh, you've seen for yourself when you visited Joy of Jesus, um, our, our church is unbelievably diverse. And it doesn't matter what culture somebody came from. We've got people who are Indians. We have people that are Asians, um, white, black, Hispanic. Um, and, and those cultural differences mean absolutely nothing at the foot of the cross. And that's the way, in fact, it's the only way that we can meet everybody on level ground and see them as Jesus sees them. So I hope that makes sense to you. Thanks a lot for the call, Jeff. Uh, Federico, we'll get to you right over the break. Thank you. We appreciate you holding. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, 340-9585 or 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our show. 340-9585. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Federico online too. Federico, thank you for being patient. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Gloria a Dios, Benaventurado. I I was getting so wrapped up in the answer you just gave the last call. I almost forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. You so hit you so hit it on the that God shows no preference or distinction between Jews or Gentiles. <laughs> uh, he, he just saved and un- saved and unsaved is all that matters to him. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're right, and uh, to follow him with all our hearts, and mm-hmm. to love him and to love one another. And we fulfill the whole law by just about there. My question was, Pastor, uh, I'm doing, I'm studying the calendar uh, when when God instituted uh, the, His calendar to Moses in Deuteronomy, and uh, I'm I'm doing also a Jewish calendar, the, the Jewish calendar, and I'm doing this. Uh, I started this uh, the one the Gregorian calendar. We're under 
that was instituted, I believe, by uh, Constantine, the Roman Emperor, in 326. And mm-hmm. and I wonder, I was wondering what your 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 insights on on the past calendars and this Gregorian calendar were under, and what's your your insights and your your know how and what you know about them. Um, uh, not not a lot, Federico. I'm going to disappoint you. I. Um, you know, uh, the Jewish calendar, of course, had 360-day years um, as opposed to our 365-day year. By the way, this year it's 366 days uh, because this is a leap year uh, in, in February. Um, but I, I really don't have any insight. Um, um, it, it's pretty incumbent upon all of us to follow the calendar of the time that we live in. Uh, uh, when, when we are in the millennium, I'm certain we'll be back on the calendar that the Lord gave to Moses. But uh, I I just don't really have anything to add. It's not something that I spend any time thinking about or studying. I'm I'm interested why you're interested in studying the two calendars, what you hope to find. Well, I was just, uh, because I've been studying uh, uh, the the different uh, months of the Jewish calendar. And and I wanted to uh, study them and learn them. And then I said, well, let me go. I know it's somewhere in Deuteronomy. And then I found it in Deuteronomy where uh, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, and he tells them this will be the first month that I, when I brought you out of Egypt. And on the 14th month, so-and-so, you will, uh, uh, you, will, you will celebrate the Sabbath. And uh, I believe it's a lunar, lunar calendar they were under. Yes, it is. And, uh, and then, in, in, in the, the days, the days began. A, a new day began at dusk, or when when it, when it started to get dark. It's just the opposite of right. what we do now. We get up in the morning and say a new day started. Well, when when it got dark, that was the beginning of a new day uh, in the lunar calendar. And I believe, if, if I'm correct, uh, the Gregorian calendar, the one instituted by uh, the Emperor Constantino. In 326 A.D., it's, it's a solar calendar. And then I studied it, it, other ancient civilizations, and they went by seasonals. You know, spring yeah, was um, considered. Yeah, you know, if you're looking for something to go back and, and well, this is God's calendar, so we're going to observe it, I think you're missing the point. And to your point on the Gregorian calendar, um, uh, it was a solar calendar, but it was not uh, Constantine at all. It was um, um, began in 1582 by Pope Gregory the uh, Thirteenth oh. to reform the Julian calendar uh, in Rome. So uh, again, you, you know, uh, I think we can we can parse uh, about the value of those things, um, but the Lord's mercies are new every day. Um, we get up and we get up every day, and, and this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Um, and, and I think rather than looking historically at uh, yeah. a calendar, and, and in some cases, I know this isn't what you're doing, Federico, but I've had uh, people um, um, comment on, well, well, th- this calendar was a conspiracy. This was God's calendar. And I think sometimes in our zeal to be uh, Christian slash Jewish, um, you know, we want to take things back. And, well, this is the calendar yeah. God established. And, our, and you know, it just doesn't... Time. 
Yeah, he just it doesn't have any money. One you don't of the things that I'm amazed time and space. <laughs> that, that's exactly right. He's not constrained yeah. by time and space. You know, yeah. one of the things I always think about Federico is when uh, we are raptured. Uh, we know that we're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be seven years. We know that that as Earth sees time. Uh, there's going to be a seven-year period of time where we're going to be with him, getting married to him, and then we're going to come back with him. And yet, think about this for a moment, because when we go to be with him, we're going to step outside of time and space. We're going to know the end from the beginning. Right. And and That's when right. we return, we're returning to time and space because we're going to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years on earth. Eternity, and then, yeah. A, yeah, after, no, a thousand years. And then after that, when there's a new heaven and a new earth created, because the the, the old earth will have burned up uh, and, and, and the old heaven will pass away, uh, a new heaven, a new earth, well, then we'll live in timelessness for the rest yeah, of eternity. And, and so we're going to be jumping back and forth, and who can understand that? <laughs> and, and there's another one there in the Bible that says uh, a day is like a thousand years for, for the Lord. Well, that's Somewhere Peter. in there, I pray it is. Uh-huh. Yep. Peter yeah, says a day is like a... It was nothing spiritually yeah. nourishing about it, the question, but it was just a food for thought. I was just yep. thinking about that. Well, Federico, you've called enough. I know your heart, and I know that you weren't going anywhere weird with it, but it's oh, it's. No. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the thousands of people that are listening, and there's always somebody looking right. for something strange, and I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you called. You always are a joy. And I couldn't help. Uh, the, the thousand years is uh, uh, as a day, and a day is as a thousand years. Is Second Peter, uh, chapter three, verse eight, and that's poetic language. That's just Peter saying that God is patient; He's unwilling that any should perish. Don't become impatient, uh, because God, uh, who cares? You know, when God gave Abraham a promise of a child, Abraham had to wait twenty-five years. <laughs> and his impatience, his impatience got him in a lot of trouble. And, and likewise, God's promised to come and rescue us from this earth. And, um, you know, uh, uh, but, but we can lose sight of our job here if all we do is focus on that. OK, well, the Lord's coming soon. The Lord's coming soon. When is he coming? When is he coming? And we want to live in expectation of his soon return. But we also need to remember that every day he's patient it's because there are still people that aren't saved that he's appointed to salvation. Uh, I've got an unsaved son, Federico, one of the nicest men in the whole world, and yet every day Jesus waits for him. I'm grateful for. And then I've got this tension that we live with in time and space. You know, the, the tension says, well, I want to be with you more than anything, Jesus, but just wait for my son first. Or, or we've all got people in our lives like that. And I think that the whole idea of time, uh, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, that we're to redeem whatever time we have. He says, making the most out of it. Yep, make the most out of every opportunity because the day is short. So uh, we need to live with an urgency, but we need to do that patiently. Thank you you for your your program has been such a blessing, not only to me, but I'm pretty sure to a lot of people. That listen to it. Thank you. And I recommend you, your, your program to a lot of people. God bless Thank you, Pastor, you. and keep you safe on the everywhere you may be. And may there always be love, peace, and unity in your home and, and in your church. And may blessings of health and of finances in Jesus' name. 
and to oh, all the what listeners. A great bened- what a great benediction. Thank you, Federico. Appreciate it. Yeah. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. One of the real privileges of doing this program is I get to meet um, some in person, but mostly just on the phone, uh, some really, really wonderful people, and Federico is one of those people. Uh, speaking of, of wanting Jesus to come quickly, um, I was told at the break by my producer that today is the anniversary of uh, the decision uh, to murder more than 65 million babies, uh, Roe v. Wade in 1973. Um a reminder to all of us as believers that we need to pray for those unborn children. We need to pray that perhaps in a nation that has decided to legalize uh, infanticide, um, maybe we can overturn that. You know, uh, this isn't a political program, nor are we Christians supposed to be a political platform, but we do need to stand for righteousness. And and it was uh, 47 years ago today, I think, that um, that this government decided to kill babies. And now, of course, we see how divided our nation is and how hard the hearts are. My heart's sad. Let's go to Seguin and talk with Reuben on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. Uh, how are you doing today on this this ooh. Cold, ugly I'm doing, day. <laughs> I'm doing well. I've been inside mostly. Went to the gym. The only time I've been outside is walking from the gym over here to the church. So I've, I've been, been oh. fine. Oh, wow. That's that's great. But all right, two quick things. I hope that you can answer them. I didn't get to hear the, the second part yesterday because I couldn't. My phone, I don't know if I But anyways, I'm going to stay on the line this time. Okay. okay. Adam and Eve, when God created them, they were not Jews. That's correct. Correct? Okay. Correct. So how many, do you know how many, was it years or decades or generations passed until Abram, Abram, when God called yes. Abram to leave Chaldeon? Uh, Cal, uh, uh, Abraham, or Abram, wasn't a Jew either, wasn't No, he was uh, actually a, a, a pagan idol worshiper. His family was a family of idol worshippers. Um, but Abram... Uh, we know him as Abraham. Um, um, Reuben was the very first Jew, the the, the one man called out, and and um, um, he he was the one that would begin the whole line, and um, the generations. I'd have to look at at uh, the genealogies in Matthew uh, to to find out, but um, I'm going to guess it was probably twenty five hundred years. Um, give or take a few, um, from from the beginning until Abram was called out, and he was the beginning of the Jewish race. All of his descendants were Jews, and uh, there were no Jews until then. Okay, okay, that answers that question. Now, as I'm reading uh, Job, and I'm reading it over and over again because I always find that the second time you read it, you always miss something that you missed the first time. And so I'm in chapter 7, and I don't know if it's just the way that I'm interpreting it, um, but to me, it sounds, okay, obviously, Job, it sounds like he's mad at God, because he he, 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 he,
that Bildad speaks to him in 8, and then he comes back and speaks in 9. 6, 7, and 9, he's asking God, why? Why did you bring, why did you let me live on earth? Why didn't you just crush these bones? Especially in 7, he says all that. He, why didn't you just crush these bones? Why don't you, why did you let me live? Why, why this and why that? But then I get a sense, like around the maybe the 16th or the 17th chapter, he begins to change the the way that it sounds like he wants to die, and he doesn't uh, insinuate suicide, but he he kind of it's to me it sounded like that now um, because he said, Lord, you. He didn't say he would forgive me if I did it. He, he didn't say that. Let me clarify that. He did not say that he would kill himself and that God would forgive him. That is not what I'm saying. But I think, now that I hear myself, I think I must have misread what he said. Did. Are you, uh, are you Ruben, understanding what scripture I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. alluding to? Yeah, I am. And it's an important issue, too, because there's so many people who suffer. Um, but, but Abraham uh, was, was in such pain. Uh, his, his misery is beyond anything. Sorry, Job. I said Abraham. I'm Job. Yeah, Job. Uh, Job, yeah. Job. Job was suffering uh, to such a degree um, that that we we all say and do uh, dumb things. We make foolish charges to God. And remember, during this time, um, at the beginning, Abraham accepts. Shall I? Shall I accept? only good and not the bad from the hand of the Lord. Um, but but then as his friends, so-called friends, would come along and condemn him, as his wife would say, oh, curse God and die. And then you, you combine that with the attack of the enemy. Now, here's the thing I think we forget when we're reading the book of Job. The devil was the cause of all of this. He had God's permission to do it, but the devil was the cause of all of this. And so Satan himself was heaping all of this upon Job. And, you know, when, when you are suffering as, as he was suffering, uh, they said there were, there were boils between his toes, on the soles of his feet, in his mouth, and, 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 and they, they scraped him. That, the way they treated stuff like that was to scrape him with pottery shards. And um, hearing his friends condemn him, oh, you must have some secret sin in your life. He finally gets to the point, he said, oh, God, would that I would die. Now, that's not a, a threat to commit suicide. He's just saying, as we have said many times oh, on the yes, deathbed of yes. people that are really suffering, we said, oh, Lord, let her or let him go in peace. Um, Abraham was just saying, this is more than I can, ha- I can handle. And, and, you know, eventually we know, because the devil was given permission yeah, by God, it yeah. was also God who was protecting him. And, of course, God himself shows up uh, after all of these tests. But there was no suicidal thoughts whatsoever. Uh, let me take it one step further, Reuben. I've had people say, well, well, Job was severely depressed. No, he wasn't. He was suffering. Job didn't have any psychology issues. He didn't have mental illness. Um, he, he was just a human who would ask the same questions you would ask. Now, Reuben, you are a man who suffered physically a great deal, a great oh, yeah. deal. And, and in previous years on this program, you've talked about all the things that you've gone through. And in praying for you, we thought, oh, Lord, deliver him from these things. And, and um, uh, there, there have been times when your faith was strong, and there have been times when you feel like you didn't have any faith at all yeah. left. Yeah. Um, Job was human just like Reuben is a human. 
And uh, we have our, our times when we bear it well and other times when we don't bear it at all. And Job was just like you and he was just like me. And that, that scripture that you that you quoted was the one that I was talking about. Oh, but yes. oh, that I will. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how you you just know what what I'm talking. That's that's it's amazing. God has really blessed you with a tremendous amount of of knowledge and anointing to know what I'm talking about. So that way you could help clarify what I said, because I definitely don't want to say something that's going to make somebody else say, oh, hey, well, this is what this guy said, you know, because that's the last thing I want to do is make anyone ever think that somebody in the Bible said something that they really didn't say. Yeah, but yeah. I thank think, you. I thank can, can, I make, yeah. can I make one suggestion for you? Yes, yes sir. When, when you get, find yourself back in Job, and I, I really understand your attraction to Job, I really do, knowing what you've been through. But but when you when you get studying then studying through a section of Job, you might read a chapter or two chapters. When you get done, then read a chapter of Philippians. Sort of take it as the medicine uh, from the Lord. So I think that'll help. Philippians. 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 Okay, I will do that. Thank okay. you, sir. Thank you very very much. God bless you. Um, all of you in the audience, keep Reuben in your prayers. He he uh, has gone through unbelievable physical things, and most of the time he's done it well. I, I think of uh, when when I went into the hospital, um, scared to death. I, I'd never been sick, hadn't had any hospital visits, and suddenly I got a doctor telling me I might die. And this is I'm going back a couple of years now. Um, I remember in the hospital the first night, Paula sitting there beside me, and I, I told her, don't let me embarrass Jesus. Don't let me embarrass you. And, um, um, you know, I did pretty well, I think, but at the same time, uh, there's no telling what we will do or say when we're really hurting. And Reuben sometimes has gone through some different things. Cindy, thank you for your patience. On line two, you're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi, no, Cindy. Hi, and hi, I've been thinking, I can't quit thinking about Peter, our study on Sunday, and there's a couple of things, and one, I was wondering, where was everybody else, all the other disciples, did a lot of them from the dinner go to the garden to pray, or just a few of them, and when they took Jesus and Peter followed, where did everybody else go? And then I thought about the fact that in a way... I kind of think Peter was set up, sort of, not in a bad way, but in a way that God could use him. And I think that when Jesus looked at him and they and Peter saw Jesus looking at him, I think Jesus' look was was of a it's going to be okay kind of look, knowing, you know, that the future studies that we were going to have, like the one we had on Sunday, about the steps that, um, I don't know if I'm making any sense, but about the yeah, steps that... Peter took, you know, that kind of slipped him away, that the other disciples weren't around in that little area, and why nobody noticed them, and that made me think that was the reason why Peter kind of got singled out, so that we would have such a good study like we did Sunday, and all these <laughs> have these really good studies. That's kind of what's been going around in my head since Sunday. I hope you're staying warm. You know me, I like I'm, this weather. Yeah. Uh, you're not me, but I'll I'll let you enjoy it. Uh, yeah, a couple of a couple of things. We know that only Peter, James, and John were invited deeper into the garden 
to share in Jesus' sufferings. Um, Jesus uh, brought them into the garden. Uh, the others would stay on the outside. Uh, Jesus then went a stone's throw away from, from where they were, which means they could hear all of his pain. They could hear his anguish. They, they could hear him pleading with the Father, if there's any way this cup can pass from me. Uh, so it was just those three. Now, uh, when Jesus was taken prisoner, when Judas came in with, with the, the 600 Roman soldiers, uh, and one of the things that I commented on Sunday was um, 600 of Rome's finest and toughest to take charge of the meekest man who's ever walked the face of the earth. We are looking for Jesus. I am, and they fell back, you know. And, and Jesus had this unlimited power available to him. Um, but remember the prophecy, um, sheep will be scattered. When the Romans came and took him, um, all the disciples ran for safety. Now, the only other one we have any location on is John. John, whose father was an important guy, a wealthy man, and and um, had some pull in and around the temple. Well, John, who was well-known to the people there, was able to come in and kind of keep an eye on the things that were going on with Jesus. Uh, but uh, the others just scattered. And, and again, we can't blame them um, because they were terrified. They were running for their lives. They knew they would be targets. Jesus had just told them, you need to go buy a sword because it's going to be difficult when I'm gone. As long as I've been with you, I've been protecting you. But now they've got him and they're running for their lives. And, and they won't gather again together until after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, and, and even at that, Thomas will be missing for a, a week longer, um, just simply out of doubt and, and fear. So uh, we, we need to understand what was going on. By the way, Cindy, we're, we're going to be um, going to the cross with Jesus um, in our study this coming Sunday. Um, so uh, read ahead. I think I'm going to get into the chapter 23 as far as the fifth verse. Um, but um, um, chapter 23 is going to be very, very difficult. Uh, and then we get to get to the resurrection, and that, that makes things all better. So, Cindy, thanks very much. I appreciate the comment. We are now inside two minutes. We've got about a minute and a half. I think I have a minute and a half question. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, I have a hard time memorizing scripture. How do you do it? Uh, Anonymous, I'm not really a great memorizer. Um, the way I learn things is through repetition. Um, um, you you want to read your Bible so much, you're putting the word in and God brings it out. So um, I, I wish I was a better memorizer. Um, but I'm not. Um, but when I am quoting scripture, uh, I'm quoting scripture from simple use, repetition, and the way to remember something, to write it on your heart. Uh, David in the 119th Psalm talked about uh, about hiding the word in your heart. The idea there is to memorize it. Um, I, Lord, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. And um, it, it is a, a very worthy endeavor. So don't worry about it. I I know what I know just because I've read things hundreds and hundreds of times, and they stick, and the Holy Spirit helps a whole bunch. When you put it in, He brings it out. 
Hey, thanks for the calls. Great questions today. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And tomorrow is the date day edition of the program, so Paula will be live in studio. See you then. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hallelujah.